Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel and Adam, and today we're going to be talking about The Bad Lieutenant, a 1992 Abel Ferrara film. It stars Harvey Keitel, and it was uh, written by Zoe Lund, the woman from Ms. 45, which is a film that we just covered. And it basically is, I, I mean, this is probably, it's probably a, a title that people know, but I'm sure that a lot of people haven't seen it. But it basically is a similar film to a movie like, say, Taxi Driver, where it follows around a character, uh, in this case, a cop who's a total degenerate and just shows shows him sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into depravity until he has a potential moment of redemption at the end of the film. And it's kind of set against the backdrop of this case about a nun who has been raped by a group of boys uh, from the area. So, you know, we'll... uh, I don't want to give too much of the plot away at the beginning, but that's the basic gist of it. Um, I believe me and Adam have seen this before, but I think this might have been Joel's first exposure to it. So, Joel, I don't know if you want to tell us, you know, just being the younger guy in the room and maybe not having the same context that Adam and I have with the film. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, what you um, thought. So this... Um... This movie uh, pulled me over on a rainy night with a friend, and when I rolled down my window, it prepositioned me to do some horrific things. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, this is a sleazy, sleazy movie. Um, I actually really liked it, for the record. I did. I, I like I like Taxi Driver a lot, too, so maybe I'm just sensitive to this sort of thing. And I also watched some pretty brutal stuff. Um, again, if you ever seen something like Irreversible... Um, I've seen that film. Uh, it, it, it sprung to mind while I was watching this. I was like, this is one of those kind of films, isn't it? Uh, it's not uh, It's not for the squeamish. This, this movie wallows in depravity. Um, <laughs> it, it absolutely does. But, but the performances are top-notch. Um, like, you can really appreciate film as art whenever you're watching this because some of the shots are haunting um the performances are absolutely breathtaking uh harvey Keitel. i've never seen harvey Keitel like this before he is in mm-hmm. rare form in this film and um i think uh the only other thing that i would I, I don't know that i necessarily bears mentioning exactly but it sticks out in my mind like a broken toe and you made mention of this this movie has the creepiest jesus i've ever seen in my life <laughs> It's a very creepy, a very uncanny Jesus. Like just yeah, a, uncanny is the word for it. There's something just. But I, but I mean, it might be I, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I will say that creepiness and the way that that Jesus is presented works really well for what the movie is trying to do. I think. Oh yeah. Um, no, it's it's absolutely what it needs to be, and and almost certainly exactly what the director intended. Uh, it's. You know, actually, there's something really remarkable about this film. And again, I'll kind of warn our more squeamish audience: uh, oof, this this is a, this is a tough movie to watch. But that being said, this is a movie where there's such fine surgical control from the filmmakers. Um, you just don't get that nowadays. There's always this committee involved. This is. 100% the realization of the vision of the creators of this movie. Yeah. So it's yeah. for that, it's an incredible piece of art. So I, I highly recommend it just based on that. As we can go into this before spoilers for discussion, I do recommend this movie. This is fantastic. Um, again, it's it's gritty, it's gross, it's real gross, folks. But I I don't regret watching it. I I, I really like this movie. Yeah, Adam, what about you? I mean... Yeah, this is actually my second time watching it. I uh, I watched it back in probably right, probably 1993. I watched it when it first came out on a video, and uh, sorry, I got a phone call there distracted me. Uh, <laughs> the one person I told not to bother me during the podcast too. Uh, um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this this is my I, I first saw it when it first came out. The I saw the unrated version last time and mm-hmm. striking because everything about this movie stuck in my head, even though I saw it, you know, 30 yeah. years ago. It's all still there. The every point in this movie, I watched the R-rated version last night. So it was all I could get my hands on. Yes, but at every point that was missing, I knew exactly what was missing and could remember okay. it in full detail. So well, it, it uh it it yeah it is amazing but uh 
Yeah, I mean, I consider this kind of the, the circling the drain genre of movies where, you know, you're just, you're just watching a character whose life at the beginning of the movie is already beyond hope. And you're just watching it, watching them Circle go around, the around, you know, like, oh, it's, 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 you know what it's like? It's almost a cross between if Taxi Driver met um, uh the Friends of Eddie Coyle. I think one of you might have even mentioned. Yeah. I was going to say Friends yeah. of Eddie Coyle. I was going to yeah. say is that same genre. The Coen Brothers will do that sometimes, like Inside Lou and Dave. Inside Lou and Dave isn't nearly as dark as this, but it's the same. It's like this character's life is a wreck, well, and what, you're just watching bad things happen to them. So number one, I saw it. I, I saw it on Prime, and I it said the it said R on Prime, but I think it was the unrated version because it had like the penis oh. and it had like the masturbation scene. It had all the scenes that it I did. I wish I'd watched it on Prime then. Yeah. I, I it's listed as being R on Prime. Well, here's so the thing, I, though. I just didn't even bother. Here's the thing, though. I bought it on Prime, so I'm not sure if buying it produces a different result for you than if you rent it on Prime. Uh, Maybe they uh, feel like if you buy it, you deserve the unrated version. I don't know. Um, but I figured it was worth buying, so I bought it. Um, but uh, yeah, what I what I like about it is this: like they just kind of slowly introduce you to just how bad this guy is. So when he starts yeah. out, he's just kind of like a—you could mistake him for a rough blue-collar father who's a cop yelling at his kids. But there is something kind of like a little a little uncomfortable about him screaming at his kids in the car on the way to work but or to, or to drop them off and then after he drops them off he does like a bump of cocaine you're like oh okay so he has a drug problem apparently and then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and in each step you're just like no don't do that even like his drug dealer is like hey that stuff's gonna kill you stop doing that and his bookie's like hey this mobster's gonna kill you you gotta stop placing bets and the bookie like actually cares about him and is trying to get him to, to steer him in the right direction. And he's just so he, he's just so committed to this path of destruction. Um, yeah, he's so self-destructive. It, it's almost like like it's alarming how self-destructive because every single time you're right. Every time he comes up to a thing where it's like there's no way he would be that stupid. I promise you he is far more stupid, you know. Yeah, it's it, it, well. I think what it is. I don't even think it's stupidity. I think he's so he's in such the thro the throes of addiction that like he's just not thinking clearly. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, I, I I guess. I mean, like, cause ne you never really get a moment of self reflection from this guy until he absolutely breaks down, like in the pit of utter despondency. So. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll give you I'll give you an example of what I mean. There's the scene where he's explaining to the bookie how he saw Daryl Strawberry. I don't think he even did see Daryl Strawberry. I think he was No, crazy. he's just lying. He was watching it on TV and then he said he was there, I think. But he's basically saying like, "Oh, it's he he meant to throw the game or something like that." Like, this is the only this is this is this all makes total sense that he's got this he's so convinced of his own argument, but you can see that he's just not even do you know what I mean? It's like it's like when we're debating games at like two a.m. in the morning, and like I'm saying something that's totally not. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's not. It's not. You're, you're the most successful well, of us in terms of game design, though. So sometimes whenever you start spouting nonsense, I secretly take notes when I'm just like disagreeing <laughs> with you. Like you're an idiot. Yeah. But let me write that down. But you know what I, I mean? Know. Like when when somebody's making an untenable argument, but they don't realize it because they're not in the right mental state. Like that's what his his character seems to be in that kind of that yes. kind of zone. Well, it's, it's 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 also like he's playing for time too. I mean, it's not even like he thinks they're going to win. It's like if you can extend this one more game. Yeah. It's like he always it's because when everyone in situates either pay up or oh no no I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on this. It's his way of avoiding paying. So it's it's not even like he's he had the arguments are bullshit because he's just trying to <laughs> trying to get another day out of this and hopefully it'll turn around. Well, that, that's why I like them using the World Series as the sort of setup for it because it's like it's a finite number of games. It can't go past a certain point, and so he's making yeah. that argument for the, that's like the final game if I remember. And so it's like there is like th there's no other game that he's going to be able to go to after that for his money that you know it's 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 over um yeah, and he just doesn't uh, see it 
And it's, it is just interesting having this movie where you're just watching someone listen to or watch a baseball game and you're like actually like really involved in watching this scene. It's it's just kind of a, an amazing, amazing well, thing to see in a movie. Well, you know what made it interesting, too, is I think it was kind of like a metaphor for sin because it's sort of like, number one, you, you have like the tracking of the score in the game, but you have his like, you know, his debt. And I think his debt is kind of like his sins. In the, you know what I mean? So, like, it, it works as, like, a parallel to his behavior throughout the movie. Um, yeah, they, they do, like, the, a one-two-step kind of piecing with it, too. It's always, he goes to some new level of depravity, and then he also talks to his bookie. New depravity, new bed. Like, they, they do a really good job of layering it like that. So I think that that's a pretty strong parallel, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought it worked, because I'm not a baseball guy, and so baseball is, like, the first thing that would drive me away from a movie, like, like Field of Dreams or something like that. I have no interest in Field of Dreams. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I don't want to see the whole movie. Tune in um, next time for the Field of Dreams. No, no, discussion. we're never doing that. Like I've seen enough of it to know I don't like it. You know what I mean? Because um, my if dad you watch it. They will listen. Yeah, I, yeah. I but, I like watching baseball occasionally. It's like I. I can't I, I'm not like into any sports and I can't watch other people play games of any kind that much that I could really ever be a true sports fan. But I do like going to a baseball game like once or twice. Okay. You can hear it's a nice thing. So I, I, I'm not actually I, I can brag. I was my team baseball. My little league team were the national champions when I was uh, in, in when I was a kid. But it was in Kuwait, which is less impressive than being the national champions in the my United States. But we were awesome. national champions. My little league team was quality auto because we were all sponsored by local businesses and we were terrible. Oh, um, we were I, we were sponsored by Raytheon. The, uh, Raytheon. Arms we were the Raytheon Hawks. We were named after a missile. So uh, I. But you probably got the big the bucks. childhood. You probably got huh? the big. You probably got the big bucks though, being sponsored by such a large corporation. You know. Not so. really. <laughs> but no, I. <laughs> But but normally this would be something that would drive me away from a film, but I found it very compelling because I was like, number one, the guy doing the the announcer was like really intense and like angry. And it was it was pulling me in, even though I have no knowledge of baseball at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was definitely really the, the, the first the first radio conversation, like you know, debate over it is just really, really super intense New York radio there. And, and also, it just feels important. Like, at one point, he even shoots the radio because he's unhappy. That is my the... favorite. I love that so much. <laughs> that is... There's so many that is, times that where, is... like, get bad yeah. news and just Elvis that radio. Well, he, yeah, there are two was... scenes, right? There's that, and then there's the grocery store scene where he just blasts the shells behind the guys that stole the money. Um, yeah. But, the no, the radio scene is, is iconic. That is one of the things that was... Uh, very memorable from this movie at the time that people would talk about. But uh, I mean, I, one of the things I love about that scene is it transcends anything that happens in this movie. We've all had a shoot the radio moment. Yeah, I'm surprised that hasn't become a a a, a gift that people well, need. shoot the That's TV a, is something you sometimes see, right? Shooting the TV, I yeah. feel, or is that just a reference to the bad lieutenant when we see that? No, that's like, a reference to Elvis no. Presley. Oh, oh, it's an Elvis thing. <laughs> Elvis is just famous for shooting his TV. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Get it. I, I think, I think I'm imagining a Simpsons episode where where Elvis is shooting a TV or something like that. But yeah, Well, that's um, that's the punchline of one of the, my favorite Itchy and Scratchy cartoons, where, where at some point Itchy uh, launches him yeah. up into Elvis's room and his face goes to the TV and Elvis just shoots him. That's what I was thinking of. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> um, Amazing. A plus. That's like golden era of Simpsons writing. Yeah. So one thing that I think is worth mentioning is I thought that the fact that Zoe Lund, who herself, I think we talked about this last episode, was addicted to heroin, like passionately addicted to heroin, I would say, based on like what we heard about her. Um, she wrote this, and I feel like that afforded her a very, like this, this felt, felt very believable in terms of like yeah. how the addiction played out. Well, the, yeah. the heroin scene was like, I, I was flabbergasted because you see the needle go into the guy's arm. It's like, wait, did, were they doing heroin in this scene? That, that's what I thought. I was like, is he doing crack? Is he doing coke? Is he doing heroin? Apparently, well, according to Zoe Lund, it was saline solution, but of, of course yeah. you would never know. Like, I mean, one thing, 
One reason to believe that he's not doing drugs is every time he smokes something and he exhales, no smoke comes out. <laughs> That's a, a dead giveaway. It's like, you know, it's yeah, I've heard the speculation. Was he really doing drugs in this movie? It's like, no, nah, he's just a really good fucking actor. It's like he, he totally believe he's doing drugs. But but, uh, but also the staggering number of drugs. This guy, Like he's not just I doing know. one drug. He's well, doing coke, crack and here, heroin. That's Here's and my read on it is that he's already in this point where he's racked up this gambling debt that is destroying him. I feel like, I feel like the drugs that like, maybe if he'd like the movie were set two weeks before, before he started putting these bets in, mm. it's like, he was probably, I mean, I'm sure he was doing drugs, but I feel like there's just this desperation to his mm. drug use that people get into when there's no hope at all. And they're just doing these drugs just to deal with the fact that yeah. they're completely freaking out. It's, it's just a way of him avoiding this, uh, He's it's regulating his emotions with the drug use. He's sort of using the the stimulation of the crack and the in the coke, but, but then but, the depressive effect of the alcohol and the heroin to kind of well, balance itself yeah. out. Yeah, crack is not a good stress control drug. It yeah. turns out, but uh, you know. But uh, but the, the 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 only believability thing is how how much of a physique he's able to maintain with all of this drug use. You know, like that's the one part of the film where I was right. like. Well, you know, that raises the. I mean, that goes back to my thing, though. How long has he been on this yeah. bender for? Because as I yeah. said, I, I feel like it's the gambling is really pushing him over the top with mm -hmm. this drug thing. And so, yeah, it's like if he's only been doing that, if he, if he has just recently just got on this suicide bender because he doesn't see any way out. But uh, I don't know. That's speculation on my no, part. No, but that could be true. I, I mean, I've known yeah, people I that like. Right like have racked up $40,000 gambling debts and stuff. And definitely like th that's when they tend to drink. That's when they tend to yes. think, I think you're right that's, about that. And I think yeah. Lund would have insight into that kind of behavior, just moving in that world. So, yeah, it, that, I mean, that's the beauty of this movie. It's just everything about it just really lands. It's a, I mean, it's, it's an extremely over the top movie, but also <laughs> very realistic at the same time. I, I think, yeah, that, that's an interesting so point. Hard. Yeah. Cause like, How, yeah, I, I think we've all known at least one person who's went on that suicidal nosedive, you know, yeah. and this, this movie captures it perfectly. Yeah. It is interesting, Adam, though, that you describe it as over the top, but super realistic at the same time, because that's a really strange balance for a movie to strike. And I think I think why why that works is because the over the topness that it's capturing is a very, very real, a very like very uh, like you could like if you were in the city and you saw somebody having a very bad day, you might see this kind of behavior, even though it's you know, very explosive and out of control. Yeah. It, it, like, like, like when when he's when he's like crying or when he's like just freaking out. It, it's not like it's not dramatic freaking out. It feels like actual freaking out. Yeah, he he does an ugly cry at one point yeah. in this yeah. film. That is the most real ugly cry I've ever seen somebody do in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's this this. I mean, yeah. When it's, you mentioned you liked Harvey Keitel, like uh, Joel, when we were talking about things, you mentioned you liked Harvey Keitel, but you hadn't seen this movie. It's like, dude, man, if you are a Harvey yeah. Keitel fan, you must yeah. watch this movie. Yeah, you you guys were right. Like this, I've never. This is an unbelievable performance from Harvey Keitel. Like, folks, again, this is a grotesque movie. But yeah, you have to see it for Harvey Keitel. You owe it to Harvey Keitel. And yeah. I would add seeing uh, Mean Streets before you see this is probably helpful because it helps. Easy to like it. you can see why he was selected for the role number one, but you can also yeah. some of the themes are similar. Like some of the the sort of Catholic guilt that's in there is similar and dealt with. It, it's a different situation entirely, but it transfers. Like if you've seen Mean Streets, you can kind of transfer some of the emotional heft over to the bad lieutenant. Um, yeah. But. But we did want to talk about the Catholic guilt thing. I know, Joel, you had mentioned that at the beginning. So maybe we should bring that up now. Might be a good time to bring up the creepy Jesus as well. Creepy um, Jesus. So. Yeah, well, I, it, it, just, it makes the movie, like, it really gives the movie a character. You know, Catholicism hangs over the entire movie like the Sword of Damocles. And it finally drops uh, right towards the end with the creepy Jesus scene. But, like, I mean... From the opening shot of the film, like he's bringing his kids to Sunday school, right? 
So like, I, there's always. Well, I, think it, I think it was Catholic school. So I think he was. I could be wrong, but I thought okay, he was okay. yeah. regular, was like school. regular school, but a, a Catholic school. Type. Okay, okay, but he's bringing him. Yeah, bringing then him. they missed the bus, if you remember. Yeah, that, so. that's why. That's why when he finds out the rapists are at are part of the school, I think he's. It sort of all clicks for him a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When he finds out they go to the church. Um, well, and I mean, like everything about this movie kind of like circles back to Catholicism because, like. The the big crime that they gotta solve is that that's this nun gets raped, like brutally raped, uh, by two like uh I guess they're teenagers from this this Catholic school, you know. And then like her reaction to it and like the way like the church and the way that because there's a bunch of interesting scenes where like the, the the authority in the church and the the legal authority are all kind of like talking around this girl where she's uh where she's like sitting on the on the 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 doctor's table after the medical examination and like she's not saying anything like she's like creepy quiet you figure she's just been really traumatized but like what's interesting about her character is that like we're introduced to her in the middle of a brutal rape so that's kind of a that's not a great foot to start off on but character wise she's really fascinating she's like the moral center to the movie yeah because whenever whenever he goes to talk to her she like she's trying to find a way to process not the trauma of what happened to her, but her guilt at having failed these young men, you know, because she felt like she was like a, a moral teacher to these kids. And then she forgives them. And like a, a huge thing for him is that he, you know, he goes to her, he's desperate. He needs to get the money from cracking this case. So he needs to find these kids, right? This is like the, the very core of everything coming together in the movie. And he's baffled by her serenity in the face of all of this horror. And, like, what's really great is, like, he comes away from that scene, you know, because he, I think he collapses in the church, and then he staggers over to her while she's praying uh, at the altar, and he's like, like, look, man, let me put these kids away. Tell me who they are, and I'll do this. And she's like, I, I failed these kids. Like, you know, they, they came to me, and what, what more desperate act of sin could you have imagined they come to me like this? And I, you know, I wasn't able to save them, but I do forgive them. And he's like just blown away by her by her perspective you know he 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 walks he like he sloughs out of that scene and he has this horrific like moral weight in his chest where he's like you know you've been through so much worse than me and you found this sense of forgiveness and serenity at the end of it and he's like and he finds these kids absolutely randomly later on uh after after confronting christ of course as we all must do while we're in the church and that many drugs um, and like, he's furious at them, you know, cause he's morally outraged that they would do something like this. This dude, this dude who we've seen do worse, um, is morally outraged at them. Oh, it's, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to spoil all of it. It's so well, good. It's such a no, rich, but I think well, there's, a, I think oh, there's a moral, there's, there's actually a complexity to his conversation with the nun too, because he is also, the reason he really... The reason he really wants to find these kids is partially moral outrage, but it's also I think he's really trying to get that fifty thousand to pay off his debts. Oh, and it's yeah. like that's why when she won't tell him, he keeps angling. But 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 you know, don't you yeah, want? He finds you know, new ways. aren't you? Are, what about other women? Other women might get raped. I feel like at that point he's still playing the game of I'm trying to get this information out of her so I can pay my gambling debts. Well, and. But but it's, but at some point at some point it it all you know basically that collapse he has after it's like is is partially not getting the money but also the more it's it's just a fantastic scene because there's so many levels going on in that. And what we well, trying another to say, thing Brenda? too is he does offer to kill them to her. He's basically saying like he can do it like like they'll get out of jail is what he tells her, but he can <laughs> handle it in uh-huh. you know in another way. And what I like about that is you think, oh, the redemption is going to be this redemptive violence at the end where he knows he's a dead man. So he's going to go go out guns blazing and take the it's going to be kind of like taxi driver. Right. Or like you uh-huh. know, he, go, he shoots up the place. You think it's going to be something like that. And it goes the opposite direction. I think the other thing to Joel's point is the reason he's so responsive to the nun is when she says that she forgives these two boys who did like the worst thing imaginable, like even he is. This guy who, like, did that thing to those two girls when he stopped them, right? Like, even yeah. he is bothered by what these guys did because it was so egregious. If she can forgive them and therefore, like, Jesus can forgive them, 
then she can forgive him. And Jesus, like, yes, it, the forgiveness is also available to him. And yes. so I think that's why he's so upset when he sees Jesus right after that, because that's basically Jesus standing there saying, you, you know, like, I'm here to forgive you. But he almost sees it like a look of judgment. And that's why I like yes. the sort of Jesus doesn't say anything. He's just standing there and he's not. And oh, you don't funny. really know what Jesus is there for or why. Um, so it's just very interesting. Um, well, it's interesting and it, it's really real. Like that's a moment in the movie where like if you've ever struggled with faith. So like if you've ever been a conscious human being like struggling with the enigma of the eternal is like a thing we all have to do. And it reveals a lot about us whenever we do that. And that's a great scene for that because he's like literally wailing in, you know, emotional and like religious agony uh, as he confronts all of the depravity and horror and mistakes and inevitability of his fate, you know? Yeah, it's it's almost comforting to some people to like, oh, I'm unforgivable. I'm just going to be, it's like, the fact that he can be saved is almost painful because it's like he's already resigned himself to just this being this person. But uh, uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's it's a great contrast, you know, in that scene, too, because it's like he's the tough guy cop and she's the rape victim and she's the strong, powerful person in that yeah. scene. And he is this pathetic <laughs> yeah, yeah, Race. she controls, just... she dominates, and that's interesting because the movie is often about dominance and submission, right? Like, it's often yes. about his power over people, and that yes. nun has total power over him. He, yeah. He's yeah. on the ground, you know, she she looks strong, she's, you know, she's unwavering. It's a very they, good They scene. shoot her like a saint, dude, yeah. like, yeah. it's a really good scene. I think, too, comparing this to uh, Ms. 45 is pretty helpful for a number of reasons number one this movie is like the opposite of ms 45 right like in, in that <laughs> movie because remember she dresses as a nun at the end i feel like zoe lund who played that character would have been aware of the nun connection and it's like okay let's have a nun who does the opposite of what i did in that movie and so it's a very interesting kind of if you take both movies and watch them together it's, it's i don't know it's it's a very it's a very balanced pairing i well, and also, uh, it's it's a really good refutation of the concept of that cathartic third act violence, you know, because there's yeah. nothing cathartic about the third act violence in this 45. It's it's the end of a miserable stretch of highway, you know, um, and in this one, there is no cathartic violence. Again, we, we expect there to be a violent shootout or something or him to enact street justice. And nope, he finds it in his heart to pillory himself for the. For the hope of a better tomorrow, a, a true act of martyrdom. It's so out of character that I was actually shocked whenever I saw it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is how this movie ends? Um, I left me absolutely flabbergasted. And I think that, like, it's impressive that a movie that is older than me, I think, can have that kind of power. You know, it, I, it's I'm, again, floored by the power of art to surprise and uh, and, you know, recontextualize us. It's it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The end of this movie. Yeah. I I mean, can we talk about the ending yet or do we want to say? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's spoil about... it. Spoilers okay. time. Spoiler. Folks. Go I... watch this movie, but then go come I... listen to the rest of this. Yeah, I love the ending because him getting it's like he is such a weak character who has struggles with doing the right thing. And it's like he's just done this act of redemption and just the way he immediately gets killed after it is almost like if you assume God exists in this universe, it is like the act of mercy that God's it's like, right. OK, it's it's like it's like Christ dying on the cross. It's like you've. You, you've, you've done your sacrifice. Boom. Here, I'm calling you home now. <laughs> it's a, Come it's, on up. It's, it's almost like, oh, this is the best possible thing that could have happened to him at this moment. Because you know the next day he'd wake up and, oh, I'm, I'm going to go out and get high. <laughs> Immediately. Like, if he didn't yeah. wake up with a crack pipe in his hand, I'd be extremely surprised. Um, yeah. So it's it's a strange, strange form of mercy at the end that he gets shot. But uh, uh, well, it's, it's, it's almost little... part of his redemption too, because that is kind of the thing that squares his gambling. True, debts, you know? you're right. He is paying his debt. You know, yeah. All, all of his debt is paid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 
but yeah, it's, it, I think the other thing too about the, the the Zoe Lund connection is in this movie she plays the woman who basically administers his drugs for lack. I don't know if she's his dealer or his mistress or what, but she basically yeah, is this lady he goes to and she yeah. helps him smoke crack. She helps him inject. I don't even know if she's really real. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> yeah, not There's a mysterious but, element to her character in this movie, and she definitely hogs the best line, the one about eating each other. Oh yeah, holy yeah. shit! Uh, dude, that hold was on, I wrote the. I wrote. She's got a few. So so. Um, beautiful monologue. Uh, she says, "Vampires are lucky; they can feed on others, but we have to feed away at ourselves or eat away at ourselves." Mm-hmm. Um, she says another line too, which I'll mention in a moment. But the other thing is, she has red hair, and that's a woman that he's kind of seeking like some kind of nourish, like spiritual nourishment from, even though it's like dark and insidious. But the nun also has red hair, you know? And so yeah. I feel like those two characters are, I don't know what that means, but I feel like it's important that like he has these two female figures that are, that ha- that both seem to have power over him and are both pivotal, you know, in terms of his, I don't know, in, one is plunging him deeper into hell, and one is <laughs> lifting him out. Um, yeah, there's a real duality with those characters. I'm just gonna just go completely Jungian with my interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even have an interpretation. I just thought it was like, well, obviously they're meant to pair somehow, but I don't know what that what the significance is. Um, but uh, the the other thing that she said was she quoted the Bible, and she said she said I forget how she quoted it. She said like. She just says, like, Jesus says 70 times 7. That's all she says. And that's a reference to the book of Matthew. Uh, there's a few different versions, but I think the most common one and the one that she was thinking of was, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive them till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times 7. So, you know, so it's just this idea of just, you know, having an endless well of forgiveness, even when someone keeps, you know, you know, doing the wrong thing. Yeah, and um, like that, I, I like that quote. Like it's it's a real, it's a real. I, I hate to say that's such a Jesus quote, but it is right. Like, <laughs> well, there was a lot of. Cool. Oh, go oh, ahead, yeah, go ahead. I, it's fine. Go, go nuts. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say the thing I thought was cool about it is that it's not. It. She just says the seventy times seven thing. And she leaves it at that. It's not this like epic biblical quote. Do you know what I mean? It's not. You don't even re- you, if you don't know the verse, you don't even know she's quoting the Bible, really. So yeah, it sounds like almost like nonsense if you're not familiar with the quote. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, I, it went over my head. It's it's been a long time since I went to Catholic school. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was an interesting interesting moment in it. Um, also, the other interesting thing about the Jesus, one thing that I we forgot to mention about the Jesus is he does call Jesus a rat fuck when he sees him. Like he, he I mean, yeah, it's it. Well, it's interesting to me because I, Joel, I know that you you went to, to, to Catholic school, I think, and we both had pretty intense religious upbringings, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And, it, it, and, yeah. And one, one thing that that I remember being told is that like you're all like sometimes they would tell you to like like an angry prayer is sometimes better than a. Uh, an insincere, polite prayer. Do you know what I mean? And so I just thought that that was like an interesting moment where he's still, he's still raging. He's still like, he's being like, like still being really rude to this image of Jesus that he sees. But, uh, and, 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 and then he calls him a, a rat fuck is like a real, I don't know, like a real gangster movie thing to say to somebody too. So, yeah. Uh, like this isn't your bookie, dude. This is the son of man. You you gotta chill out. I have to say, his bookie was pretty nice too. Like overall, like that bookie seemed like really concerned about his well-being. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Do we have anything else on this film we want to talk about? I feel like we've gone over. A I lot. think. I think I, I will say on that last point that the uh, bookie is nice. It kind of goes down with my feeling too that he's recently gone on this total tail slide because it's like yeah. I feel like all these people they're like. Either concerns, it's like, dude, what are you doing? You know, I mean, I, it it is that way people react when a friend (laughs) suddenly goes over the edge that you didn't used to be like that. I don't know. That's, yeah, that's hard to say. Again, that's, that's one of the reasons why this feels so real. And like, I agree with your interpretation there because like, 
This guy, okay, like, you can only drive a car at the absolute highest gear and top speed for so long, you know? Yeah. And you can, you can yeah. see people accelerating towards it, you know? I feel like we're be we see the beginning of the slide, and then we see him just not care, no matter how quick he's going towards that brick wall in this yeah. film. Like, that's what it feels like. That's the moment it yeah. captures, and it nails it. Yeah, I, as far as one more thing to talk about, I, I find it interesting how they handle the family in this. Like a more Hollywood yeah. movie would have had his wife like, yo, what are you doing, blah, blah. It's like the wife is just like non-existent in this movie. We, it's like she... We're not even <laughs> sure who the wife is, to be honest, right? Because we have a woman who looks like she's his wife and acts like it, but there's another woman in the room who could very well have been the wife that we, you know what I mean? Because there were... Uh, there's there's that. the aunt. The aunt, I assume, is the older woman, and you've also got the the, the, well, the older. We'll, we'll cover you. So the lady calls the older woman her mom, right? Who we, the woman who we think is his wife, correct? Uh oh. Um, I I'm actually I'm not sure about who called who mom. I that that I've forgotten about. Oh, so, okay. yeah. But you don't know if it's his mom or if it's her mom or or what? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Mama's one of those side. I, I didn't that, hear like, aunt. So if somebody got if somebody got called an aunt. The kids talk about the aunt when they're going driving to school oh. at the beginning. The kids are like, Our, you know, aunt whoever was in the bathroom for blah oh, yeah. blah blah. But we don't. That's know where who, aunt comes from. But we don't know which one of them is the no. aunt and which one we but, don't. because there's two yeah. female. There's two like approximately the same age women yeah. at the breakfast but, table. But, the fact we're confused about this is my point that it's like the family yeah. that, you know, a more Hollywood movie would have like really done all this family drama. And it's like that the family's just almost studiously, you know, we have like yeah. the, the old woman, whoever she is, walks into the room, sees him and it's just, she just walks away. It's like, I, I don't even. Yeah, she gives him like it. a mysterious look of judgment and that's about it. Right. And then exactly. She's but she's, it's like, oh, and <laughs> And I'm real, and I'm still wondering: was that his mom? Was that his mom-in-law? Was that like an aunt? I'm guessing what's. I'm guessing it's the mom-in-law based on that, because I feel like a mom would have, an actual mom would have, been more willing to, whereas a step like a mother-in-law would have been more. Uh, I don't know. It's. Uh, I think a mother-in-law would have been a little more active in her distaste. Yeah. Yeah, well, I almost feel the opposite of Adam. I feel like a mother might have quietly done what she did. Yeah, you're right. I got it. I mean, it's it. It, but that's the thing. It's so ambiguous. It really could it go is. like both are fine. I just, but I think you're right. I think I think not only that he doesn't have a name. Not no, pretty much nobody in this movie has a name, right? Like who who do we actually see the name of? Oh shit! Yeah, you're uh, right. You're uh, right. There are no lot of names. Uh, okay, so. Uh, you're right. I, I I don't know his character's I, name, and I never never even thought about it. So so G Jesus has a name in the movie. Um, there's a I guess there are a couple of people that look like they might have names, like Julio and Paulo. Oh yeah, I didn't um, I didn't look at the cast of this. Yeah. Uh, saw this. But he's but, just yeah, called the Lieutenant. Yeah, he's just cop, the Lieutenant cop Number One. Yeah, Bet Cop, Cop Number One, Jersey Girl, Jersey Girl, Driver. Yeah, when yeah. they shoot him, they don't even call it a name. They're just like, Hey, Cop, Bang. Yeah. And Zoe Lund is called Zoe, but I don't remember Zoe. her being called that in the movie. <laughs> I don't think that's actually. Uh, I guess she, she wrote she wrote it, so she wrote her own name in. Yeah. But uh, other than that, uh, Paolo. Oh, of course, Paolo and Julio have names because, of course, they get identified. Oh, and there's Bote. Yeah, Bote. We have the whole Bote name conversation. So yeah, so I, I don't know, but but I think I think it does create it, almost by not draw dr drawing in those details, it feels yeah, it feels more plausible because they're. In real life, it's not like I don't make a point of using a person's name just so the audience understands who they are. And I don't make a point of clarifying my relationship to that person. Do you know what I mean? Because I know it internally. So Yeah, it, it yeah. makes it feel more like you're seeing a slice of this guy's actual real life. You know, yeah. it, this, the Hollywoodness is gone here. Uh, it's it's not like document. It's not dry. It's not like a documentary. The emotional reality is something that is used to kind of bring you into the film. So there's... There's a directorial eye, but like you don't see it because you're feeling it. You'd experience it yeah. on a different level. It's it's really a gorgeous piece of filmmaking, people. I I'm so, actually kind of upset by how much I like this movie because I just saw it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I this is this is this is a true classic, I think, in my opinion. This is this is just a, a cinematic triumph. So I watched it twice this week for this podcast, and I have to say like Watching it two times in the same week is definitely Whew. 
a grueling kind of experience, just given the subject. Yeah, yeah. I, I waited 30 years between viewings, so I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> that, was, that was about weeks. right. That was the right yeah. level. I was but right. the, but uh, on the name thing, there's a character called JC played by Vincent Loresca, who I'm unsure who that is. But I, I'm like, some so that the one of the only characters the name has a has the initials JC for Jesus Christ. Is kind was of it, uh, was it his bookie by any chance? I, I'm wondering if it was the uh, the bookie that was. What, uh, what's the guy's the, name? Vincent Loresca. Uh, Vincent Loresca. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Real-time uh, research, folks. I know. Well, I know. No, I don't uh, think that was his bookie. Um, we need some uh, Googling. Uh, I can't remember who he was. We can play. He looks like he was... Hold on, I know what to do. I'll type in his name, and then I'll type the bad lieutenant, and then I'll get an image of him in the bad lieutenant. All right. Ah, oh, crap, it's not working. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this guy doesn't look particularly famous, so I... Uh... He's in a lot of movies, but I don't know that he's. Uh... Okay, well, that's a mystery. If anybody listening happens to know the answer to that, certainly leave a comment so we can solve this mystery. Because um, that's an intriguing yeah. puzzle piece. Another another thing is I was reading an analysis of the movie, and one of the things somebody mentioned was that there's like always a cross in the scene when he's doing something bad. I don't know if it's true. I just the person just mentioned that. But they said, like, you can see, like, a cross hanging when he's doing coke and stuff like that. Um, I kind of wanted to go. I almost went back to go watch it and see if that were true. But Yeah, that's, mm, I don't know about oh, that. Actually, this, Vincent Loresca has an amazing career for someone who I don't know. He's, like, in Once Upon a Time in he's Hollywood. He's a... always, like, playing in, you know, those important side roles. But you never yeah. bother to find out who he is. He's in, he's in, he's in like, it's a like, ton it's like of the guy from, the, remember the guy, the dad from Six Feet Under, the guy who dies in the first episode? You get to, like yeah. that actor. I know who he is. I've seen him in a ton of movies, but I don't know his name. You know, And I don't yeah. think I want to know his name. I just like that he's blank. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no. I guess, I guess something else worth mentioning is one thing that kind of irritated me when I was sort of looking up reviews and discussions of the film is I see a lot of people downplay the directing and, and only... Really? Well... It's not normally done. It's normally done as a way of complimenting Carvey Keitel, but they kind of do it by saying it's really just like a series of scenes for him to perform as this character. And sometimes they'll even say it's not even really a story. It's just a sequence of scenes. And I just it's don't definitely understand a story. That. Yeah, I don't story. understand that. Criticism. People are so used to being spoon fed the three act structure, and like yeah. this movie has an unambiguous three act structure. It's it's as I said, it's not a Hollywood story where they do the all the cliche things like his wife intervening or you know blah yeah. blah blah. It's like yeah, it does. It's it's yeah. This is very very I well actually, thought out. And I mean, thing is, acting too. Acting depends on directing. It's like if yeah. you're an actor, you're very dependent. I mean, especially if you're doing as crazy acting as Harvey Keitel is here. If you don't have a director to tell you where you're, because you can't see yourself when you're acting. You need that person in the room who's like, oh, you know, go up, go down, whatever you need to do in this point. But uh, yeah, because yeah, they, they don't always shoot these scenes in order. And like, what's brilliant about the directing in this is that you get that sense of continuing pressure and that continual spiral down. And it's really subtle and really noticeable and really clean at the same time. And like, yeah. as an actor, if those weren't shot in that exact sequence, you would need someone who has the whole image in their head to say, okay, here's where you are in this scene. It's yeah, just yeah, critical. Yeah, I, I, so these people are morons. But yeah. but I also to your point, Adam. I think it's really great that we were spared the the wife screaming at him over. I know that, that, I, that exactly. Yeah. It's not it's not relevant. Wouldn't have been relevant to the movie. It would have just been a thing that it's like, oh well, this is a this is a plot beat we need to hit, and it, well, it she wouldn't, just kind it wouldn't, of. She just kind of endures whatever's going on with them in like with humor, right? Well, like I it forget, feels just, more real. It feels yeah. more real because, like you know, a a hack a hack writer thinks, how can I get drama out of this scene? And I mean, the fact yeah. that the family is just completely trying to be as oblivious possible to what has happened and not create drama yeah. is more realistic than I'm looking to have a dramatic moment here, which is not how. 
how sane people go through life. At well, least. Yeah, it, it makes the it makes the family seem like they've seen this kind of spiral before in a less severe form. Like this is yeah. the student's personality. You know, he he's he's an addict. Uh, he makes bad decisions. He's impulsive. Like they yeah. already know this. This is them tolerating that aspect of him. Because yep. there's good aspects to him too, you know. I, I, you know, these people like real families yeah. act like this around their problem members. It's just how. It yes, goes. that is something yeah. worth mentioning: is the fact that he's this terrible person, but you also feel so sympathetic to him, just because I don't. It, and, and he doesn't. It's not like he does anything particularly redemptive, except at the. You know, it's not like that we see a scene of him like, you know, you know, feeding a kitten or you know anything <laughs> that where it's like you know, oh, he's got a heart. It's just you just can. I think it's because you can see the pain in the guy, and, and yeah, and you know it comes from a. It's not coming from like a hateful place. It's coming from a. There's some kind of turmoil going on here. That yeah, obviously that, is connected to the the gambling debts, but those are probably just a symptom of something much deeper. Um, well, it, he does stuff in the movie that's adjacent to good too. Like when he when he stops, yeah. the, like remember uh, when he goes into the, uh, the the grocery store that got robbed, and he's like, "Give me the money back," and he just gets it back from them. Like that's kind of good adjacent. I, well, I want to call it good. no. I mean, he just he the basically money, though. no, it's but he, okay, wait, robbing the grocery store. <laughs> well, not only that, but he sent the the guy who got robbed goes to jail for the night. Because he has them, you're right. He has them take him no, in. No, he, he goes to give a report. Oh, did he? Okay, I thought he had to have him, have him give a report okay. so we can get him out okay. of there so he can shake down the. Uh, so it's yeah. less bad than I thought. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think I thought he just took the money because he needed money. That was what I thought. I, I, I mean, I guess he didn't. We don't really later see him do anything with that money. So like, no, I think he just well, gets the money. Five hundred dollars was too little to help him with the amount of debt he was in. So I'm sure he went and blew it on drugs. Yeah. But, right. Well, the drugs we watched him do. Yeah, little, but like, and we're introduced to him. Uh, yeah, we're we're introduced to him taking his kids to school, like a you know Catholic school. So like, there's a few things where you're like, that's kind of good adjacent. Um, uh huh. He tucks his so, yeah. kid in at night, right? There's that scene where he tucks his kid in. You know, yeah. so yeah. I mean, like, there's just things like that, and like his connection with um, with his drug dealer lady friend, uh, it's not like it's parasitic. You can tell, but also like there is a certain level of like kind of need or necessity or sincerity to it that I don't know. It, it makes it like, even though it's bad, it's not like a, a, I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to characterize this right. It's not a healthy relationship, but it is not one in which it is openly abusive. So, mm -hmm. like, they're both, like, injured people that have found each other, you know? So it's yeah. like, okay, they're not going to make something good happen here, but they, they're they not, like, hurting each other any more than they would be hurting themselves individually. And well, so there's something, there's something like friendship, like something that, like, real friendship below the surface there. I don't know. It's it's compelling. She's almost well, tender thing with Right. Like she's like yeah. administering the drugs in a way that's like almost like helpful, you know? Um, yeah. And it's the I mean, the other thing is that the bad things he's doing are coming from, you know, as he as his, a pivotal line is him talking about how weak he is, is that it's like they're coming from weakness. It's not like he's going out of his way to bully people, even though he is. It's, it's that they're all things where he's fulfilling this it's like i don't know i feel like it's it's just he's this pathetic figure it's not like he's the strong yeah. bully he's, he's, the a, he's a wretch he's a wretch he's a he's wretch a, yeah he's a wretch so it you know it's like you know there's, there's just a difference between a strong bully and a pathetic yeah. bully they read differently they, even they if they're do. both bad people <laughs> yeah i think that 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 goes a long way to explaining what is sympathetic about his character he's kind of broken and, and wounded and fragile and pitiful inside. So like when you get yeah. to him getting murdered at the end, you get the feeling that, that like the guy that did that was like a strong bully, someone who kind of got his way by being like sociopathic and pushy uh, and violent and brutal. And this guy kind of gets his way by being weaselly and pathetic and opportunistic. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know something about it. Like there's, there's a less evil b bully, and I like him more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that and that ending execution scene is pretty powerful. The way it's done, the yeah, it's really, it's so wonderfully this, sudden, you know. 
just the way it keeps going. It's like the scene just continues for a while with the people kind of gathering and the woman seeing what happened. And it just, it's just, I, I don't know. That just really adds to it somehow. I think another reason to watch Mean Streets as well, because it's not the same, but there is a similar type of final, uh, I won't say what happens, but a final shooting, uh, except the car cars are both moving. That's the main difference. Um, and it brings, I mean, similar, I mean, it's not it's not the same scene at all, but there is a, a similarity to yeah. the uh, end of Friends of Eddie Coyle, too. Just, yeah, uh, very strong. It's, it's got a similar feeling you have at the end of the movie. <laughs> well, based in, on all, in all three of those movies, there's this inevitability about what's going to yeah. happen. Well, as I said at the beginning, the circling the drain genre. It is, and some reason, I, I, a lot of movies I like, I like that, I like the circling of the drain movies. There's just something... <laughs> horrifyingly compelling about them no it's it's well you know what it is it works well because in a way they also function as hangout movies where you're just hanging out with the characters yes you have yes. because it's a circling the drain you know where it's going and you don't feel like you're you don't feel like you're racing to the plot because you kind of don't want the plot to happen because yeah, that's you, you when like the character's the character gonna die are you know? avoiding yeah. inevitability you're trying to you're trying to yeah. do everything you can to forestall it and yeah. Uh, bringing, you can see it, it puts you in the same seat with the character. It's really it is compelling. Yeah, I mean, and Ms. Forty Five. Going back to that again, I would consider that a circling the drain movie. It's like from, it's like her character is just headed towards her doom. It's like that's that's yeah. the road she's on. <laughs> yeah, it's more like how long can you keep this going? Kind of. Yeah, I, halfway through the movie, I'm like, there's no way this movie ends well. I'm just gonna <laughs> see how this, how this blows up. There's yeah, no unless, uh, unless that movie became a superhero film at the last minute, there was no there was no possible I'm, out for that character. I, I was familiar with Abel Ferrara's work. I was like, this is not going to turn into a superhero. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, this rhymiest superhero origin story ever man yeah well miss 45 would be a pretty cool superhero name right like give it up for miss 45 it, it almost sounds like a superhero name right like there's a glamour to it that, you know oh, i mean yeah. we're not talking about that movie but you know there we is a glamour to that movie. we have you know we can do it in the mcu have the mcu version i want the strong, strong positive That's what I want. strong independent woman it's uh it fits the fits their model I yeah, that, but yeah, I don't know. MCU, I, that's what I want. What was that? Able for our MCU. It's going to be awesome, man. <laughs> just resurrects know, like, Jesus comes I, back and resurrects the bad lieutenant. You know, it's the antithesis of uh, of what these movies are about, though. Like, uh, I think Thanos you know, is just a drug dealer, and that's all it takes. All the characters unravel and go into self-destructive spirals. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, you know, I'd much rather watch a movie about. A bad guy who's just a local drug dealer, but about a bad guy who I don't quite know what Thanos is, but I have a vague idea. Man, I okay. Cosmic level. I, we'll I don't, I don't want to bore the audience that. either by, re, you know, giving them <laughs> the break. Creating the Marvel. I am a comic fan, so I, I could have this discussion, but we should have it another day. Okay. Um, <laughs> another day, folks. We'll we'll tease this like a. But he's cosmic, story. right? He's a cosmic character, Thanos. He's yeah. he's cosmic, and there is something really wonderfully personal about the guy. Yeah. Like I think they did a good job with a good a job with Thanos as you could possibly do in those movies. Actually, yeah, pretty much. I, that's they got a good actor. Yeah, <laughs> that's also Thanos. Anyways. what's that? Who plays Thanos? Uh, I can't think of his name. Yeah, the same guy uh, played Cable in Deadpool. I can't remember his name either. But yeah, he's a really good actor. Uh, I don't my phone next. Josh to Brolin. Josh. Oh, Brolin. he is a good actor. I, I do like him. Um, yeah, I didn't he's realize a, he played. He, that. He's an actor that kind of reminds me of actors that you like. I know there's something about him that gives me that. Oh, I bet uh, I bet Brennan would like this guy. Yeah, I, I like those kind of classic type actors. Do you know what I mean? Like he's got he's got kind of like a Charles Bronson-y type. He does. Vibe, you yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's 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 a case too. It, it is a thing about the MCU people talk about where the villains are the weakest part of a lot of the movies. And he is the standout where they did they didn't come okay. up with a half ass villain. It's like yeah, they actually made a really good villain that you okay. yeah. It's yeah. Maybe one, one maybe, maybe I'm wrong on Thanos. Then I don't know. Josh uh, if you want to go definitely. like you know Thor: The Dark World, the villain in that that's that's your cosmic boring 
nothing villain. That's, I that's think the darkness is better than light, but is it the light better than darkness? Jesus Christ, kill me. Yeah. <laughs> so. But the bad lieutenant, I would say, if people have a strong stomach, they should watch this movie. If they're if they're not if they're not if they're neither squeamish nor overly prudish about the movie, like you you have to like movies that venture into territory that is like uncomfortable uh yeah. to, to to accept this movie um yeah this this is yeah. not a this is not a cozy watch adam's judgment of 30 years being viewings is probably about right it, it's like it's like when i think of like weird 90s movies like like edgy 90s movies this is like one that would rise to the top of the list in terms of yeah that sort of like ethos of of filmmaking um I know, I know Farrar is not like strictly a 90s movie filmmaker, but this definitely has a strong 90s feel to me. I'm so um, mad that I love this movie. Yeah. Because no, <laughs> you're right. I kind of can't watch it again. It's just, it's too much. You know, it's like eating a whole cheesecake at once. Like, at the same, like, I love cheesecake, but man, I can't do that again. It's going to be a couple of years. Yeah. Like, how, you have to, you, it's basically like, okay, can I sit down again to watch Harvey Keitel cry? Like, that is the. Yeah. Do, do I, I need mean, to see Harvey Keitel naked and cry? And <laughs> we didn't even talk about the naked Jesus dance. The 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 yeah. the crying with his hands out and his penis. Well, that's once again, that's in the unrated version. And I and I as I said, I clearly remember everything from the in, unrated version from thirty years ago. But that that was not in the version. That, the prime uh, version had that. The prime version had that. Okay. Yes, well, that's clearly the get the prime version. version. This is a. Definitely go for the Prime version. And just uh, to be clear, that's just so people don't like rent it just to see Harvey Keitel's penis. It is not a sexy scene in any like Harvey Keitel is. This is like got to be one of the most unflattering, uh, cap like in terms of the imagery of his face and everything. This is not a flattering depiction of Harvey Keitel. Um, No, it's I'm making this movie. You have to give Harvey Keitel credit because this movie had not been good. This is the kind of thing that could just ruin your career and you yeah, become yeah. a laughing stock. But the magic worked in this, and the the crazy like the crazy things he does in this movie land. But it's like this is like within an inch of being a career destroying movie. But he yeah, pulls yeah, it off absolutely. Yeah, um, like that and, that movie from um, that what's that Ben Stiller film the. Uh, uh, the one that's the one where they're making the movie in Vietnam. I don't know why I'm. Uh, Tropic Thunder. Oh yeah, Tropic, Tropic Thunder. Thunder. They, yes. What was what was the name of the movie within the movie that ruined his career? The uh, simple. I know. Jack. What you're talk- yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. He yeah. was like, oh god, let's not. No, but what I'm I saying, love I'm, that movie, but let's I'm not go in there. I'm using it to illustrate cause... Adam's point that it's like he, he's getting up to that line, that simple Jack line. Not that he's playing a character like Simple Jack, but that level of. Yeah. You've ruined your career by going too far into this yep. character in the movie. Um, yeah. The, the scene where they're making him do Simple Jack in that movie in the prison camp is the comedy gold. I, I need to watch Tropic Thunder again. That's a brilliant film. I, I kind of need to watch that again now, now that you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Brendan. I'm sorry. So <laughs> I, I, I need to start to watch that movie again ever since Robert really Downey Jr. put on movies, Blackface. That's... Uh, that should have been easier for me to recall. Uh, <laughs> okay. It wasn't like some obscure film, you know. Was, no, no, no. It's, but it's not. It's yeah. It's but yeah. I, I am struck by how, having not seen this movie in thirty years ago, how almost every scene in this movie was still in my head. It's like yeah. there's not many movies from 1992 yeah. where I could just go and remember everything. Well, you know what it is too. My brain. Adam, I feel like the culture was like, because I had the same experience and I've had a similar experience when we watched movies from that era a lot of times. And I wonder if it's because because we weren't online all the time and doing all the things that we do now, maybe our brains were just absorbing the, you know, like single viewing of a movie might have been a lot more sufficient than it would be for today. You know? On the other hand, I can make the counter argument like back before the Internet existed, I would be more likely to have the TV on all day, like whether I was actively watching it or not. Like now 
now my TV only gets turned on when I'm like, I'm going to stream this movie. I am going to watch this TV show. Whereas it used to be, I used to have visual media kind of blaring somewhere in the room all the time in the TV era. But, uh, but yeah, right. I, here's what I'll say about that. Still stands. But what I would say about that is you're getting, you're, you're still getting at least, even if, if it's TV, you're still getting like 12 or 15 minute chunks of consistent I oh i see yeah I but if you're online if you're using the internet the way most people do you're clicking every five seconds to something new and that's yeah. sort of more what i'm talking about like that sustained yeah. focus might not be that's probably important to memory is what i'm assuming that um, makes sense and I, I will say that in the early 90s there are a few films that are burned into my mind because uh yeah. Grim Circus dracula is burned in there too like, i remember every single frame which, of that movie which dracula movie the the one we reviewed and screwed up really Rest badly because the audio was annihilated. Oh, the, oh yeah, the Coppola. Yeah, I'm I'm similar with that. I'm gonna force you guys to rewatch that this Halloween. We're gonna do another stream. It's gonna mind. come back from the dead. I wouldn't mind, and we could have like the new version and the bad audio version, and people can compare to see how consistent we are. That's, uh, except yeah. uh, except please don't do that, guys. That audio is so terrible. I wouldn't wish that on you. Yeah, I think it's been long enough that probably by Halloween we can uh, we could do another Dracula one because because uh, yeah I, I don't really remember our conversation very clearly which means we can we can have the same conversation I won't feel like I'm just parodying myself yeah and, and we'll probably move to different positions like we'll probably start like what Joel was saying somebody else will be saying it'll be yeah I'm gonna fading from the I, I've absorbed all of Joel's points about the yeah. movie so I'm going to spout them all now and oh god I hope I haven't talked to turn it into Brendan's points about the movie I, one of the things I love about our friendship <laughs> Brendan is how little we agree on things. <laughs> Well, yeah, we, we, do, always well, we agree on some things, but we just have a difference of opinion on many other things. You know, that's, uh... It's it's wonderful and fascinating to have such differences, though. Like, it's a rewarding friendship. Well, I mean, the only thing I remember really disagreeing with you on, and we've documented this, is Rocky IV and, um, <laughs> and Sleepwalkers. Those are the only two things I really uh, you brought me around on Rocky before, though. Uh, I need to rewatch the Rockies now. I need to, I need to do a Rocky and Creed full watch. There's also there's a new cut of Rocky Four um, that Sylvester Stallone did as well. There's a director's really? cut now. Really? I don't know if I want to. Stallone did it. <laughs> well, the, the 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 reason I bring it up is it removes a lot of the things people complain about, like the goofy stuff. Yeah, but but I think the goofy stuff is part of what makes it. Yeah, that's so. no. I, I agree with you that that gives the movie such a unique flavor and character. It makes it stand out in such an interesting way. So it, like, for the Drago one, right? Just to yeah, be, yeah, yeah. For yeah. the Drago one. For the Drago it, it, one. It doesn't work without that tone. If you make it feel like another Rocky movie, like Part Two or something, I don't know. It wouldn't feel as interesting to me. I think. Well, and what what you eventually, I think, really won me over with was the fact that that movie is the absolute crest of that zeitgeist at that moment in culture, you know? So as, as a cultural artifact and a piece of art that is like of its time and place, it's perfect, you know? So yeah, you can look at it like, Oh, that's goofy. It's like, look, dude, culture gets goofy sometimes. Sorry. Dude, I, I'm sorry to say dude, but when I remember the, um, the trailer for that movie was literally just two boxing gloves, one with the American flag and one with the Russian flag on them, just coming at each other, yes. blowing each other up. And, and, Ooh, and, and yes. we understood entirely what it meant. That was what was so interesting about that. I'm pretty sure that image was you. We talked about early Simpsons. I, I'm trying to remember the early Simpsons episode that used that exact. Image. Oh God, you're right. Um, I remember oh. that. Crap, I don't remember where <laughs> that's from. By the way, oh, we're trailing oh. into other territories, so we should probably probably let it go now. Yeah, we yeah. can uh, uh, go into our. So again, very well, bad lieutenant. Bad, bad lieutenant, 1992, Abel Ferrara. Uh, it's a really great film, and also I think you know. Get, because we we also discussed Ms. 45, I think this movie and Ms. 45 are really worth watching just because Zoe Lund is clearly a very talented person who had, like, she wrote The Bad Lieutenant, which is an amazing movie, and she had this amazing performance in Ms. 45, and she didn't, she, you know, she obviously had issues with drugs and died young and maybe didn't do as much as a result of the drug use, but I feel like these two movies are definitely worth seeing if you're not aware of her as a person. Because, um, you know, it's very impressive. 
Um, yeah, hats off to Zoe Lund. The writing in this movie is unbelievable. Every aspect of it is really brilliant. Yeah, and and I do think a lot of it might have been improvised, but still, I think she, and I don't know what the ratio is, um, but it's still like a you can see the that she's bringing something to this film that you know only like somebody with that perspective could bring. Um, so yeah, so I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, and I guess we would direct people towards the prime version because that's the unrated version. It seems again, it says R when you click on it, but just based on our conversation, I'm pretty sure that the version I saw was the unrated version. So I don't know, you know, you know, these things are unpredictable. If you really want to see the unrated version, you probably have to get the physical DVD or Blu-ray. That would probably be your best bet. I don't believe but, it's out on Blu-ray, though. Uh, oh, it's not. Oh. I was talking. I was talking to Matt about it this morning, and he was like, uh, "Someone's got to bring that out on Blu-ray." And if anyone would know, it's Matt. One of these days, we're gonna bring Matt onto the program just to get like information uh-huh. to viewers or listeners on what. What you ought to do is just give I'm the whole episode about- to him, and then have him do a bookend. Like, here's all the stuff they missed. Yeah, he's just, uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna tell him to wa- listen to this podcast. Maybe that'll pull him in. He's like, you missed all these points. So yeah, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who knows the amount about movies that he knows. Um, and he's got, like, so many, like, physical versions of the films and everything. And yeah, I mean, so. back, I, I, he's the one who showed me this movie originally back in 1992. He was someone who had boxes and boxes of videotapes and... I was like, uh, so yeah. But uh, anyway, enough talking about Matt. We'll end the podcast. <laughs> so, so we'll we'll let it we'll let you go. And until next time, we will talk to you later. Bye.